Good morning. Well, today, if you haven't don't figure out where we're going, we're going with the Christmas Carol today. It's one of my favorite of all time. I've seen it so many times. Um, there's just so many great parts to that. But you know, before I get started, you know the shirts. Um, uh, Brandon said that uh, someone that he shall not name gave them to 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 gave him his, and. Uh, it, it wasn't me, um, so, so I will say someone I shall not name gave me mine, so that just leaves one other person that's wearing one that probably gave them to us, so you all figure it out. Uh, they're running around here somewhere with it on, and uh, another great, great uh, Christmas movie, but not today. Uh, my name's Tony. If you're a guest with us today, if you're online, I'm the lead pastor here. I'd like to welcome all of you. Um, let me just begin by saying, bah humbug. You know, I thought hard and long about how to start this sermon. I thought, bah humbug, right? Uh, bah humbug, those famous words uttered by the miser Ebenezer Scrooge in the famous 1843 novel, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It's not a common expression for us. Very few people, would matter of fact, if it wasn't for the story in the movie, None of us would go around saying "bah humbug," um, and you probably don't, anyways, because it carries such a negative connotation. So I did a little etymology on the word and looked it up, and the word "bah" means to express contempt or disgust or bad temper. It's a word that they use. They would say "bah," you know. We just say "bad," no, you know. But then you get to the next part of the phrase "humbug." It means balderdash or baloney. We would say that one more, right? I don't know anybody that says balderdash anymore. People would probably, oh, we got one. All right, we got one back there that says balderdash. Uh, see me afterwards, we'll talk about that. But uh, it means nonsense or rubbish. So you put the two together, bah humbug, and you get this expression that expresses cynicism and disillusionment and distrustfulness. It's such a negative. It comes deep from the heart. It expresses the reflected heart of a truly cynical individual. A heart that is distrustful. A heart that has become disillusioned. A heart that has grown hard and cold from life. It makes sense that Ebenezer would say, Bah humbug. As the story goes on, and as you, if you read the book or you've seen the movie, we get the backstory to Ebenezer's life. Christmas past, the, the Christmas past spirit that comes and visits and takes him on this journey in his past that leads him up to where he's at today shows us a very lonely boy, a very lonely school child sent away by a very unloving father He lost his mother and no doubt was probably blamed for that. He had one person in in the whole world that loved him, and that was his sister. And she died too. He fell in love with Belle, who loved him for a moment. And then he saw her leave him because his love for money replaced his love for her. And then the Christmas spirit of the present, the Christmas present spirit shows up and shows us 
this community around Ebenezer, his present-day situation. There's this community around him that is connected. Friends and family are happy and they're celebrating. One scene in the movie where he's walking through the town, there's music and people are laughing and people are cheerful and they're connected. Children are playing in the snow and running and singing Christmas carols. People are merry. And yet, here's this one man walking through this scene, cold, hard, and alone. And then, the scariest spirit of all, the spirit of Christmas future, shows up. Through the past and the present, Ebenezer grew a little bit of a soft spot in his heart for little tiny Tim. But the future showed us that tiny Tim, would, his illness would get worse and he would eventually die as a child. And so he loses tiny Tim in the future. And then eventually it shows him there in that cemetery and he's afraid and the tombstone is covered with snow and he just knows it's his, but he's not sure and he wipes the snow off and there is his name. Ebenezer Scrooge died all alone. And there's a tragedy in this story. It's not so much a tragedy that Ebenezer is this miserly old hard guy, but here's the true tragedy. That Ebenezer is shown a world that could be very different. Ebenezer gets a sense that the future could be different for Tiny Tim, could be different for Bob Cratchit, could be different for his family and his life. The tragedy is is that Ebenezer has shown a world that could be so different if only Ebenezer would change. If only Ebenezer would change his heart. If only he would open his heart and love again. That the power to change the future was in his hands. He could change the present and the future if he would just simply change his heart. Cynicism will manifest itself by frustration. How frustrating Ebenezer must have been in those moments to see a different world that could be a world that could be very different and yet be so powerless to change it simply because his heart wouldn't let him. Dickens has this quote about Ebenezer and he says this, The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his his grating voice. I don't know anyone like Ebenezer Scrooge. I've met a few people that, man, they're close. Maybe you don't know anyone like Ebenezer. But perhaps we all know what it's like to feel the ball humbug rising in our spirits. To feel the ball humbug finding its way into our heart. 
And maybe you've even experienced ball hug bug enough to where it's moved from your heart to where now you're almost wanting to say it. Perhaps some of us know what it feels like to feel the joy of life fading. Our past, if a spirit was to visit us and take us into our past, we find that our pasts are hard to overcome. We can't change the past. The pain of a childhood that maybe was wrecked by divorce. I'm here. It printed wrong. A pain of childhood wrecked by divorce. Maybe abuse. Maybe loneliness. Maybe insecurity. The overwhelming feeling of regret for a past thing that you've done. Something you're not proud of. The feelings of loss. We as humans know what it's like to lose. We know the feeling of loss. To lose an opportunity. To lose a child. To lose a loved one. To lose our innocence. It's hard to overcome our past. And the past has a way, and the regrets of the past have a way of building cynicism and distrust and ball humbug. Maybe your present life is impossible to change. The finances just can't seem to get better. Your marriage doesn't seem to want to work. The job situation seems like a dead end. Family feels like it's slipping away. Sin in your life, a habit, an addiction that you just can't overcome. And it defeats you every turn of life. Maybe you've become disillusioned about life. What you thought would make you happy has not. You spend so many years and so much of your time chasing dreams that once you grab a hold of the dream, you realize it only satisfies for a moment and then it's gone. And so your frustration builds out of this impossibility to change the present. And what about the future? <laughs> frustration that we feel, the powerlessness to change any of that. I mean, who knows the future? There's no joy in our heart for Christmas, because we feel stressed, we feel worried, we feel pain, we feel loneliness, we feel depressed, we feel defeat, defeated. We have a character in the Christmas story that I think could have become a ball humbug. And you're going to say, really? I'm going to say, yeah. When you really look close at her life, Mary the mother of Jesus. Now get this. You're 12 or 14 years old, ladies. And you realize you're pregnant. An angel comes and visits you all alone. No witnesses. Just you and the angel. And says, Mary, God has found favor with you. God has done something incredible, a miracle. 
He's put in you the Son of God. And you're going to give birth to a son. I've never been with a man. It's okay. God's got it all worked out. Now, you're pregnant. You're 12 or 14. And you're engaged to Joe. But you haven't quite said I do yet. Think about the conversation you're going to have with mom and dad now. I'm pregnant, but Joe and I have been good. An angel came to me, mom and dad. Could you imagine mom and dad? Could you imagine what she's going through? Can you imagine her trying to explain this? Can you imagine her telling mom and dad? It's like, you know, it's almost as good as the dog ate my homework, right? Seriously, nothing happened, but I'm pregnant. Try to have that conversation. You don't think that created problem for her? She lived in a world where they could take her out and stone her to death for this. Not like our world. This was a serious deal. Not just for her, but for the family and for the whole community. You don't think this little miracle that God gave her, and we say, oh, it's so sweet and all that, But it turned her life upside down. It had the potential to wreck her life. She was a young 12 or 14 year old woman living in a man's world, powerless, insignificant. And Joseph found out and decided his options, and he had decided on divorce. I'm not going to marry her. I'm not going to follow through with this. So now she wasn't only pregnant, out of wedlock, facing the wrath of the community, but now the one person who could possibly make it right was going to leave her too. And for a young girl in that environment, in that world, this was a terrible, terrible thing. But I want you to see something that is really remarkable today. We're going to step through the words of a song that she sang. But I want you to be very aware of the context in which she sang these these words. If anyone could grow cynical, if anyone could be disillusioned, if anyone could grow distrustful, it was Mary facing the situation that she was in. And I want you to see this context this morning. She finds out she's pregnant, no doubt worried. She goes away. I have no doubts in my mind that Mary went to see Elizabeth, her family. When she found out she was pregnant, I think mom and dad just sent her away. They they couldn't handle the embarrassment. They couldn't handle what was going on. They couldn't handle this situation. Maybe to protect her life or whatever. Give Joseph some space and let him think about it. Whatever. All we know is is that after she found out she was pregnant, some things were skipped, but you know these conversations happened. She was sent away to her cousins. It says family in the Scripture. Some interpret it cousins. We don't know for sure if she was her cousin or not. 
It just simply means family, her relatives. So Mary was sent away. In the middle of her worry and in the middle of her distress, Mary gives us one of the most beautiful songs of all of Scripture. In the middle of all of that, she sings a song that expresses not her circumstances, but her joy. Not about her situation, but instead about a God that was doing something incredible, and she was a part of it. I'm in Luke chapter 1. If you want to follow along, I'm going to have it up here for you. I'm just going to read the first three verses here for you. Mary responded. So Mary goes to Elizabeth's. Elizabeth, as Mary is showing up. Now remember, Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. She's further along. She's married. Further along. And as Mary gets close to Elizabeth and sees her, the baby in, it says in Scripture, the baby leapt for joy. And I'll I'll mention this later, but Elizabeth sees Mary and embraces her and says, Blessed are you, because God has found favor in you. She also received angel visits. She understands what's going on. And so this is what happens when Mary and Elizabeth connect. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. The first thing that stands out to me in this whole song is this. God is mindful of us. God sees us. Mary doesn't seem worried about her life. Mary doesn't seem worried about the situation. Mary doesn't seem worried about the circumstances of the pregnancy and how people are going to react. She knows in her heart that God is doing something great. And what God is doing is for us. What God has put in her is truly a miracle. Even more, God has taken this first step Not by sending us another prophet. Not by sending us stone tablets from a mountaintop. No, in the flesh, God has taken that step to enter into our existence. God is coming as flesh. It's a miracle. God is mindful of us. He will understand our situation. He will know what it is to be human. And He will save us from our sin. He will restore all things back to as they should be. Salvation is coming. Sure, her life's upside down. Sure, her life is uncertain. She's not sure what Joseph's going to do. She's not sure when she goes back home how she's going to be accepted. She may be all alone, but it doesn't matter to her. Because in the middle of her uncertainty, God notices her and she knows it. God sees her and she knows it. It's not easy. It's not perfect. But it doesn't need to be when God sees and notices you. And God sees you in all your circumstances, in all your struggles, in all your humanity. 
God sees you and God notices you. How different would this Christmas be for you? How different would your life be if we could just grasp this truth that God is nearer than you think? God is closer than you think. He hasn't forgotten you. And He's never going to leave you. This unborn child in her body is Emmanuel, which means God with us. When we couldn't find Him, when we couldn't reach Him, when we couldn't know Him, He came to us and Mary got it. Verse 49. She goes on and says, For the Mighty One is holy. Some translations say, Holy is His name. And He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. I want you to see this truth this morning that God is not weak, but God is for us, not against us. God is for us, not against us. Mary says, God, the Mighty One, is merciful. The angel's message to Mary was, Mary, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be born of God, a virgin pregnancy. Mary knows what God has done is impossible, but it happened. She says, holy is your name. Now, Jared, has anyone said, Jared, holy is your name, man? Has anyone ever said that? No, because you're not unique, man. You are unique, but not that way, right? Right? Eric, has, has anyone said, hey, Eric, holy is your name? Not this week. All right, all right. Holy is a word that means set apart. It, it, there, there's nothing like it. It's, it's like totally pure and set apart, and it's perfect. And Mary's saying, God, there is none like you. Holy is your name. There's none like you. What you have done, what you are doing is incredible. It's a miracle. Mary is singing because even though she's in a tough spot, God is powerful and He will extend His mercy to all of us. You know what mercy is, right? Mercy means God's going to give you exactly what you don't deserve. That's mercy. <coughs> That's mercy. To receive what you don't deserve. Mary is saying, even though I'm in a tough spot, God, who there is none like, is merciful. Do you fear God? Not in the way that you might fear a burglar or an abusive person. But do you fear Him enough to say, holy is your name? There is none like you. Humble yourself. Are you in awe of who He is? Are you in awe of what He has done? As we look at this Christmas season, as we look at what God has done in history, the story that God has created and made in all of history, are you amazed and in awe of Him? That is what it means to fear Him. 
We need God to fight for us. We need God to come on our behalf. Verse 51. Mary continues, His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princesses princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. Here's the truth of this one. God's kingdom is different than this kingdom. It is the proud and the powerful who rule this kingdom. But God will humble all of that. It is the humble and the meek who will inherit the earth. God's kingdom is not like this kingdom. Let's be clear. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And we have done a great job of being festive and bringing festivities to this time. But the child in Mary's belly is a king. And he came with a kingdom. And he says, this is my kingdom. And his kingdom turns this kingdom upside down. In this kingdom, the powerful rule. But in his kingdom, the meek and the humble rule. God's kingdom is always and will always be in direct conflict with the kingdom of this world. God shows His strength with His arms. He's flexing His muscles and the proud scatter. Rulers will fall from their thrones. Humble people will be lifted. The hungry will be filled. God's kingdom, there will be justice and mercy and it will roll like a river. When you start to follow Jesus, this will become apparent to you. Because you will try to live your life and follow His way. And your life will come in direct conflict with His kingdom. And it will challenge you. And you will have to submit. And you will have to give of yourself. You will have to die to yourself to come into His kingdom. Because everything in us Our value system clashes with His. Selfishness and pride are not the fast track to wealth and power in God's kingdom. Getting what you want. No, you want to be first. You want to be powerful. You want to be important in God's kingdom. Then you serve. You become the least of these. You move to the end of the line. You love. You love. The question in this world is how will it benefit me? But Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom that He came with, the question is what does love require of me? Jesus broke all the rules and all of our rules. But it's good to be the king, right? And He is the king. Luke 54, 154. Mary goes on 
He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is the truth here. God keeps his promises. Christmas was the fulfillment of a promise that God made to Abraham. God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Two thousand years Israel held on to this promise. And eventually God showed up. Their history was up and down, but God kept His promise anyway. God would give us a Savior and a King. Mary is overwhelmed with joy because God has remembered His promises. That in her was the promise of all creation. In her was the promise that God made to restore all things back to as they should be. He is the firstborn who lived to be perfect. I told the praise team this morning, we were talking about Advent. Advent is not the anticipation for Christmas. It's not. We, we look at it that way. We, we start four weeks out and we build up to Christmas Day and we look forward like Advent is this anticipation for Christmas Day. It's not. Advent is the anticipation that God's going to finish what God promised He would do. That's Advent. Christmas is a part of that story. But the anticipation that we have is that because God did this in Mary's life, that God's going to see that through to completion and we will all live in a world as it should be. There will be no more pain and suffering. There will be no more cheating and lying and divorce and and abuse. There will be no more of this. No more broken families. No more of it. Because Jesus is going to restore all things. And He started then. And He's been doing it since. And for everyone who comes and follows, and everyone who comes and puts their hope and their life in Him, God is restoring them. And He's restoring the people around them. And He's restoring their families. And He's restoring their communities. We don't need more social programs. We need more Jesus followers. Because God is restoring all things. He's reconciling them back. So there's this verse right before our story. When... Elizabeth sees Mary. It's verse 45, I think. I think it's up there, yeah. Right before the song, I'm going backwards now, right before the song, Elizabeth sees Mary, and she says, you are blessed because you, listen, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. That's Advent. 
to believe that God is restoring all things in the person and through the person of Jesus Christ. That God is going to do it all. Even though we live in suffering, even though we live in this world, even though God is long-suffering and He allows it to go and He still gives people the freedom to choose, in the middle of all that and all the bad circumstances and all the things that could go wrong in life, God's still doing what He said He would do. Mary was blessed because she believed. Do you believe today? Do you believe? I know that this time of year, it's a joyful time of year, but I also know that it can magnify our troubles. I went and saw a really, really good friend of mine. I'm sorry. I've watched his life drip away from the disease of ALS. Three beautiful kids. He's in his 50s. Confined to a chair and a bed. We prayed really hard that God would heal him. And God's chosen for whatever reason for him to suffer and his family to suffer. And I know that this time of year, for you too, and you have stories like this too, it can magnify the problems and the troubles, and the pain, and the suffering of life. And maybe it would just be easier for us to bury our heads in our work, bury our heads from all of it, and just kind of take a bah humbug way of looking at life. To grow cynical. To grow cold and hard-hearted that Somehow God doesn't care, that God doesn't see us, that God's not in all of this. But then I'm reminded of this story of Mary and her circumstances and what she was facing. Listen, this child was not only bringing her trouble now, but it was about to bring her a lot of pain and suffering. And yet she sings this song of joy. She sings with her heart. Her heart is full of joy. You might look at her life and say, you got nothing to be happy about. She says, no, but man, am I joyful. Luke gives us Mary, a young, poor, insignificant girl loaded down with the troubles and uncertainties of her life. And yet a young woman whose joy... There's no bah humbug in her. Why? Because God is mindful of her. God 
is fighting for her. God's kingdom is coming. And it's going to be different. And God keeps His promises. Why not let God put a song in your heart this morning? Believe in the boy. (laughs) In the child who came to us God in the flesh. You've tried happiness and joy in all the places and all the ways life offers. Why not come and find your joy in Jesus this morning? Why not bow before the Savior and King of all the world? He once laid in a manger, but later He's going to die on a cross. He rose from the grave to give us all the song of eternal life. Joy. Joy. I want to do something with you this morning that's very um, different. I'm going to walk you through a liturgy. I just ask you just to participate and be a part of it. We're going to put it up there. I'm going to call you to reconciliation. Wherever you're at in your life, whatever you're going through, God wants to reconcile with you. He wants to reconcile the wrong for what is right, the unrighteous for righteous, the unholy for holy, the unclean for clean. He wants to reconcile with you. I'm going to read the white, and then I'm going to ask you to read with me here in a moment. Would you stand with me? This is a prayer. I'll read first. God is the witness to our lives. The one who sees all we do and fail to do. The one who hears what we say and what we don't. God is also the one who cleanses us. Who makes us pure. Who forgives us. Now join with me and let's pray together to our God. Just read with me. Refining God. It is not easy for us to admit we are not at faultless people. We trust the promises of politicians, but have trouble believing the ones you have made. We find ourselves captive to emotions and lusts which stun us, but doubt you can save us. We prefer the shadowy streets of the world rather than walking in your light. Forgive us faithful one. May the light of Christ show us your way. May the love of Christ overflow from our lives to others. And may the life of Christ be our model as we seek to be your people. Amen. Let me pray this for you. First, let me ask you, do you feel it? God's tender mercy rests on you, heals you, transforms you, Do you see it? God's light as it breaks into your life and shows us the way. Renewed and made whole, we see the path God has prepared for us. Read with me the yellow. When you see yellow, let's say it together. The way of peace, the way of hope, the way of grace, the way of service. Everybody, thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You can be seated.